All right. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Jamie. Uh, typically, I uh, come up and do announcements and people group uh, and those kind of things. Uh, but I get the privilege to get into God's Word with you guys this morning. And so uh, I, I, serve, I serve as one of the elders here. And uh, if it's your first time, please know that I do not do this every week. And so Liam will be back next week. I'm sure that'll be uh, much appreciated, uh, and everybody will be ready to have him back. Um, but it really is. It's an honor to be able to just kind of get into God's Word with you this morning, share a little bit about what's on my heart, and I pray that it will be beneficial for all of us uh, despite my, uh, my lack of, of experience, so to speak, doing this. Uh, and if nothing else, we'll give Liam a well-deserved break for him to just kind of come up and, and, and jam out, right, uh, like he likes to do. And so uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to start with an autumn story this morning. Uh, most of y'all know my wife. She is, uh, uh, she's awesome. She's typically in Connection Kids, but she's over here uh, this morning with us. Uh, for those of y'all that know her, y'all know that she's very direct, right? She doesn't beat around the bush, particularly with me. Um, but it really is one of the things that I love about her. She keeps me in line, she keeps me straight, uh, and she keeps our family moving where we need to go. So this week, in, uh, in typical autumn fashion, she, uh, I'm sure out of the spirit of love and encouragement, right, she, uh, she said, Jamie, make sure you don't get up there and beat around the bush. Uh, make sure you don't try to over-explain over and give all this context and all this crazy stuff. Nobody's here to hear you. They want to hear the Bible, right? Uh, so... While her comment may have some merit, I do tend to over-explain things and talk my way around things. Uh, like most husbands do, I'm going to choose not to listen to her. And I'm going to give us a little bit of an introduction this morning before we get into John chapter 11. So, y'all stay with me. Um, what, I, what I do want to talk about for just a minute, because it's been, it's, it's been a while since we've talked about it publicly and since we've talked about it from stage, and it will tie into the passage a little bit later on. Um, so don't lose track before we get into John chapter 11. But what I want to talk about for just a minute is our, our church's commitment to expositional preaching, right? So that sounds like this big kind of academic seminary trained word, right? Uh, it's this kind of big overarching idea. I know we got some blue collar folks from Oglethorpe County, right? But stay with me. It's not that complicated. It's not that hard. Uh, and so, but the reason I want to talk about it is because we want to let God's word dictate how we preach as a church, right? Um, the, the expositional word, all it means is to expose God's word to us. And so um, we, want to, we want to start with scripture and end with scripture. We don't want our ideas uh, to, to take place of what we feel like God's idea for the text is. It can be very easy to say, Right. Uh, okay. This is how. This is Jamie's uh, idea of, of how to have a better marriage, or Jamie's idea of how to be a better parent, or Jamie's idea of how to be a better Christian. Right. And then I go and flip through and find all these obscure passages that, that may or may not be in context that kind of supplement what I want to do. And so that can be a very dangerous place to be for a church. Right. Because what is Jamie? Jamie's human. Jamie's fallen. Jamie sins. Right. Every day. Every week. Ask my family. Um, so that can be a very dangerous place to be. And so the difference in expositional preaching is we want to take what the text is trying to say, what God is trying to say in his word, right, and be faithful to expose the message that scripture was meant to communicate. Um, and at, and as, as a church, particularly uh, uh, with Connection Church, right, we, we kind of take that a step further. And there's a few exceptions throughout the year outside of a couple of exceptions, maybe at, at Christmas or maybe at Easter. Uh, you know, we'll do a kind of a separate series that's still expositional, 
um, but we, it may be a little more topical. What we do is we preach through books of the Bible. So if you've been with us for several weeks, where have we been, right? We've been in John. We know this morning, before I told us where we were going to be, we were going to be in John chapter 11 because we finished up John chapter 10 last week, right? We preach through books of the Bible. The reason we do that is so we hit all the content, right? We don't want to skip around hard things. Uh, we don't want to miss anything that God wants to hear because it's his word and it's not ours. And it's really, it's really a simple concept. Uh, it, it's not overcomplicated, but we just want to do our best to do, uh, to do God's word justice and make sure that he is speaking through us, whether it's me, Liam, uh, or anybody else that, that, that's kind of filling in for us. And we don't want to get that backwards, right? We don't want to use God's word to communicate our ideas. Y'all don't need any more of our ideas. We all need God's word, right? And so uh, we want to stick with that. We want to make sure that we're faithful with that. Um, and we don't want to cherry pick packages, uh, passages that kind of back up what we want to say. Um, so with that being said, I hope my introduction wasn't too roundabout. Uh, so we're, now we will we'll kind of start, we'll get into John chapter 11. But I did want to cover that first because I think it's important. And hopefully it will serve as a reminder for those that have been here a while. And if you're new with us, we wanted to really make sure you guys know that's how we preach. And that's the reason behind why we, why we preach and communicate the way that we do. Um, so with that being said, before we get into the passage, let me open us up uh, with a word of prayer uh, before, before we get into the word this morning. God, we love you. Um, God, we, we, we praise you. We thank you. Like all of the words, God, that we just sang, um, we thank you that your word uh, is, is, is ancient, God. It applies in the past. It's, it's applied from creation. It applies to the present, and it will always apply to the future, God. God, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your character. I thank you that you love us enough to send your son, Jesus. And God, I pray, God, that I would not do anything to get in the way this morning of what your word has to say to us. Um, God, I pray that your, your word would come forth, and I pray that it would move in the hearts and in the minds of the people here at Connection Church Athens this morning, God. I pray that you would rid us of distractions, rid us of temptations, and just help us to really focus and, and, and see uh, and try to apply your word to our life this morning, God. We love you and praise you, and we lift all this up in Jesus' name. Amen. So, real quick, a little bit of context, right? We ended last week in chapter 10 of John. Uh, we see the Pharisees, they're trying to capture Jesus. Jesus, he, he kind of slips out at the last minute. They're trying to stone him. Uh, they, don't like the, they don't like the answers that he's given to, their, to his questions. They're calling him a blasphemer. They're saying, you're, you're, you're trying to play God. You're, you're messing up our religion. You're messing up the status quo, right? And we know the Pharisees. We've seen them, we've seen them enough in the last few chapters. They're like the school bully, right? What's the school bully do? When they don't get their way, when, 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 they, when, they, when they lose control of the situation, they can't reason logically, right? Uh, they, they can't outsmart Jesus. They can't, they can't say anything that, that's going to trump what he's going to say. So they just result to violence and intimidation. They're like, oh, well, we're just going to stone him. We're just going to capture him uh, because we, we don't like that he's challenging us. We don't like that he's challenging our authority. We don't like that he's challenging the status quo. And the more they, the more they encounter Jesus, right, in his public ministry, so we're in his, his public ministry in these chapters, the more they encounter him, the more they don't like him, and the dicier these situations get uh, for, for Jesus and those that are following him and those that are with him. Um, and so really, this is, this is the last, uh, this is the, last the, the passage we're in this morning, this is going to be kind of the last public sign or the last public miracle before Jesus draws away with his disciples before ultimately going to the cross. And so... Um, what I want to do is, uh, this morning, as we read, I want to pull out three, pass uh, three points from the passage, okay? 
Uh, typically what we do, if, if you've been here, we have somebody come out and read the passage for us, right? That's just that's kind of doubling down on our commitment uh, to be an expositional. We want to cover everything. But this morning, because it's more of a narrative, I'm going to read it for us, and we're just going to kind of go through it together, okay? Uh, everybody's good with that, I hope. Um, let's see. Yeah, so I got three points, and I want to make sure as, as we read through this, we're going to pull out these three points um, and I really what I want to do with these points is I want to make the connection between God's character, right? We, we read about it in the Old Testament. We talk about it week after week. And then I want to kind of look at the character of Jesus. I want to look at Jesus' uh, qualifications that he shows us here, his claims that he makes, right? At the end of chapter 20, we get the title of the series, or at the end of chapter, uh, the end of the book in chapter 20, we get the title of the series. Uh, John says, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, right? So that's the point. These three points are going to reinforce that fact. They're going to give evidence to who Jesus is, right? He's not, a, he's not just a normal man. He's fully a man, but he's also fully God. He is the Son of God. He is the Messiah. So with that being said, uh, I don't think we're on fire. I think we're good. No, no worries. As long as the building ain't on fire, we're good. I think we got the right people here just in case it is, though. Uh, Anyway, so these three points are going to reinforce the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. So think about that as we go through it. The first point, it'll be up on the screen as we go through. Uh, the first point is that Jesus is sovereign, right? We talk about God's sovereignty, so we're going to look at Jesus' sovereignty. So turn to chapter 11. Hopefully you guys are already there. It'll be on the screen. Uh, if not, uh, starting in verse 1 of John chapter 11. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from, from Bethany the village of Mary and his sister Martha. So Bethany, I know there's, we have a connect group here, right? They like to pull out maps and they like to look at history and context. I'm not going to call out which group that is. It's the older group. Uh, they like to pull out maps and look at all this stuff, right? Which is cool. It reinforces scripture. Bethany is right outside of Jerusalem. So think about we just left chapter 10. They just left east. They went far past the Jordan, which is about a two-day hike. But Lazarus is sick. He's in Bethany. And so this Mary, there's a bunch of Marys, uh, this Mary whose brother Lazarus now lay sick was the same Mary who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So many of you are thinking, well, hold on, that story doesn't happen until John chapter 12. How do we know which Mary this is, right? Well, it's, it's important to remember these books weren't all written at the same time. So Matthew, Mark, and Luke had all been circulating with the early believers, so they would have known the story. They would have known Mary by the time John was writing this. So even though it hadn't happened yet, John's audience would have known who this Mary was, and that's how they knew her, the one that spilled the expensive perfume that we'll read about in a couple of weeks, right? So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one that you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Y'all remember that verse. We're going to come back to that one. It's a big one. Verse 5, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days and then said to his disciples, let's go back to Judea. All right, should have some questions popping up there, right? If we're the, if we're, if we're the disciples trying to wonder what's going on, Jesus waits two days before he goes back. Verse 8, but Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you and yet you're going to go back. The disciples are like, hold up, we just left there. Why are we going to go back right into danger? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours of daylight? Anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. And this is kind of an obscure verse. It doesn't really seem like it fits. 
But if you think about if Jesus is light, right? Jesus has called himself the light of the world. He's basically saying, look, I got this. Y'all are with Jesus. Quit worrying. Y'all are with light. He also acknowledges that his time is limited. Jesus knows he's not going to be on earth for forever. He has a limited time to, to show by signs and wonders who he is, that he's God's son. There's only 12 hours of daylight. That's what that phrase means. Jesus' time is limited. Verse 11, after he said this, he went on to tell them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. His disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. The disciples are still trying to decipher Jesus' word. What else is new, right? They never get it the first time. Uh, John does the commentary for us in verse 13. Jesus had been speaking of his death, but the disciples thought that he meant natural sleep. They misunderstood him. Verse 14, so then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and for your sake I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. But let us go to him. There's that phrase again, so that you may believe. Then Thomas, here's Thomas again, right? We know him from, from uh, later on in the book. Uh, he said to the rest of the disciples, let us also go that we may die with him, right? Thomas, is, he gets a bad rap. He's the pessimist. Uh, but really, Thomas is probably the one that just says what everybody else is thinking, right? He's not, uh, we, we give him trouble, but he's just the one uh, that we probably all should relate to, right, when he starts to doubt. Um, so let's just, let's, let's recap a little bit of what we just read. There's a lot to kind of unpack in it. So we've got the disciples, right? They fled Jerusalem. They're with Jesus and they're confused. They're like, hold on. We just left. They tried to stone you. So now we're going to go back. Jesus said that this will not end in death. Remember Jesus' words. Jesus said, this will not end in death. Then a few verses later, he said, Lazarus is dead. Jesus, I'm confused. I don't know what's going on here. Oh, yeah, we're going to wait two days. Then we're going to go back. I think any of us would have been a little bit confused in that situation, right? We get confused in our own circumstances too, don't we? We don't always know what God is doing. But I want us to focus on what Jesus says. Jesus is God's son. If he is, his words matter. He said, the sickness will not end in death. Walk in the light and you will not stumble. Basically, I got this, right? Trust me. Quit worrying. And he says, Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going to wake him up. So my question is, what reason did the disciples have to believe that any of this would not come true? What evidence had Jesus given them by performing all these signs and wonders that we've read about through John, right? What evidence had he given them that he wasn't going to do what he said he was going to do? It can be so easy to focus on what we don't know rather than what we do know. The only thing the disciples had to go off at this point was what Jesus was saying. They didn't, the situation didn't make sense. They were confused. They were being persecuted. They're, they're running. They're following Jesus. They're probably scared, right? All they had to go on was what Jesus was telling them. But what I want to say is that should be enough, right? God's word should be enough. Proverbs 1.7 says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. If we want to know what God's doing, we need to start with the knowledge of him. God has shown us time and time again there's nothing outside of his power. There's nothing outside of his control. Even time and death, right? He's eternal. He's outside of time. He shows us here, I'm not spoiling anything by the end of the story. Lazarus doesn't stay dead for long. Even death is not outside of God's control. This is one story in a book that's literally full of hundreds of stories of God's faithfulness. Hundreds of stories of him saying he's going to do something and then him doing it. This is one example. What God said he was going to do, what Jesus said he was going to do, 
what's going to happen. I'm probably unqualified to do this. I think there's some middle school teachers, maybe a math teacher here that uh, may call me out on this not being exactly right, but it's an analogy, so stay with me. Think about it like a math equation, right? Every math equation has a constant and it has variables. The variables are the things that change. The variables are the things that move around that we don't necessarily know what they're going to be. The constant is the part of the equation that stays the same that we use to solve the rest of the equation, right? We have to know what the constant is to be able to figure out what the variables are. <clears throat> so write this down if you're taking notes. If God's word is our constant in the equation of our life, we will always get the right answer, okay? If God's word is our constant to our equation, we will always get the right answer. And so what we've got to do is we've got to discipline ourselves to use God's word as our constant. We've got to use it to revolve everything that we do, all of our decisions, all of our doubts, all of our worries. We've got to center it on God's word. And why should we do that? Because he's batting a thousand, right? He's faithful. He's never been wrong. He's never been proven wrong on anything that he's ever said, anything that he's ever done. So what I want to challenge us to do this morning is rather than be like disciples, the disciples, and sit around questioning and wondering, what are you doing, God? Let's throw what we know, right? Trust that what God says is what's best. Trust that he will work things out according to his will, his good and his perfect will. And like Paul says in Romans 8, it will all work out for our good. We just have to trust him to get there, right? Let's keep reading. Verse 17. The second characteristic, they can throw it on the screen. I'm sorry, I messed up the order. The second characteristic we can throw up real quick is that Jesus is omnipotent. That means Jesus is all-powerful. Let's read in verse 17. We're going to see why. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. That's context, people, right? Listen to that. He was two days out. How do we know that? Took him two days to get back, and he waited two days. Two plus two is four. I can do that. Four days. That's how we know they were two days away. They left for two days, came back for two days. Lazarus had been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, right outside of Jerusalem. Many Jews had come to Martha and to Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. Right? We do this. Somebody dies, we take them food, we take them flowers, we hang out with them. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. Don't read it too much into that. I did that this week. Why did Mary stay at home? She didn't know yet. She hadn't been told. We'll find that out in a minute. Lord, Martha says to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. So Martha has faith. Jesus said to her, remember, this is a Jesus statement. It's not open-ended. Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, like a good kid that went to VBS with a Sunday school answer, right? I know he will rise again at resurrection in the last day. I know he's in a better place. That's what we say. It's true. But then Jesus answers, right? What does he say? The next I am statement. I am the resurrection and the life. The one that believes in me will live even though they die. Whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? He asked her a question. 27, yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is coming to the world. Even in the midst of grief, even in the midst of pain, we get a pretty good testament of faith from, from, these, uh, 
from the woman here, right, Martha? She responds correctly to Jesus' question, but she still doesn't know exactly what Jesus is going to do. She still is, is thinking, like, spiritual, yeah, like, we're gonna, we'll raise again. I know I'll see him again. Jesus is like, nah, I'm the resurrection, and I'm about to show you how. She probably won't fully get it until the end of the chapter, right? But at least she has faith to trust in Jesus. So in this section, we see this interesting interaction between Martha and Jesus. She's talking with him, much like the disciples. She's not fully catching on to exactly what Jesus is saying. Again, probably won't understand until Lazarus walks out of the tomb. Jesus gives the next I am statement. I am the resurrection and the life. Even death does not control me. Jesus gives us insight into his character. He gives us insight into his deity and into his eternality. He's eternal. Remember chapter 8, right? Liam preached on chapter 8 a few weeks ago. John chapter 8, he talked about I am. When Jesus says I am, the Jewish audience would have thought Yahweh. Like it would have been very familiar. Yahweh is literally translated as I am. In Exodus, Jesus, God said I am who I am. So when he makes these I am statements, he's connecting those dots. He's claiming connection with God the Father. Jesus has shown us so far with these I am statements. He's told us, I'm the bread of life. I'm your sustenance. I'm your food. I'm the light of the world. I shine a light on darkness. I'm the door, right? Anybody heard the phrase, you make a better door than a window? That's what we say when somebody's standing in front of the TV. Better door than a window, right? He controls who comes in. He's the good shepherd. He cares. He loves. He watches over us. He's our protector. Jesus has shown his power through these statements and through the events surrounding them, right? He didn't just say them. He gave them a sign that backed it up to connect the dots because we need it. We're like the disciples. We don't listen the first time. We need proof, and he's given it to us. We've all heard the saying, right? There's only two things that are certain in this life. What are they? Y'all can answer. Death and taxes. Y'all are on it. Jesus tells us he's even got power over death. We know the end of the story. Again, I'm not spoiling it. Jesus is using this, this story. He's using this demonstration to demonstrate his power to those who need to see it, to those that are watching, so that we can understand there's nothing too big, there's nothing outside of God's control. There's nothing outside of God's power. There's nothing that he can't handle. Verse 28, let's keep reading. I'm, gonna, I'm trying to keep from applying it too much. I want to apply it and tie it all together at the end. Let's keep reading in verse 28. After she said this, after Martha had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary. She said, the teacher is here, right? She said, he's asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. So he was right outside. Martha went to him, and Mary didn't know about it yet. When the Jews that were with Mary, when the Jews that had been with Mary in the house, they were comforting her, they noticed how quickly she got up. As soon as she heard Jesus was here, she got up, she left. Mid-conversation, mid-meal, mid-something, mid-hug. She heard Jesus, and she got up and left. They followed her. They supposed that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet. 
She said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Again, midst of grief, she still puts her faith in Jesus. She knows that he could have healed her. But she's missing part of it, right? When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit, and he was troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied, and Jesus wept. The last point is Jesus' love. Talk about God is love, God is love, Jesus is love. The first two characteristics of Jesus we've talked about, they're big, they're powerful, right? They're, they're, they're moving, they're outside of us. He's not limited by the things that we're limited by as humans. But this part of the passage shows us that Jesus was also fully human. He can relate to us. He was fully man in addition to being fully God. He breaks down in tears over him. Jesus wept. It wasn't a show. It was real. He was moved. He was sad. He shows us that he can relate to us on a human level by dealing with feelings and emotions much like anyone would when they experience loss. This is the personal side of Jesus. I've got a friend we sing, right? Closer than a brother. It's so hard for us to wrap our minds around how God can be both. How can he be big and powerful and strong and strike down armies and love me and care about me and what I got going on? It's a lot like this grace and truth idea we talked about a few years ago, right? It's a dichotomy. It means it's hard to, 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 to bring these two ideas together. They don't seem to go together. How can Jesus be both? How can the creator of the universe that has the power to raise people from the dead also love me and care about me deeply as an individual. I don't know. I wish I had like a, 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 an answer sometimes. I don't know how he does it, right? If I did, it would mean he wouldn't be God. I just know God's word tells me that he does. He loves me, he cares about me, and he's strong enough and powerful enough to save me and do something about it. Most people that study, that study language and this idea of, of love, right, they say that the English language and some languages, when you translate them, they don't do certain ideas or certain words justice from when they were originally written in Greek, right? This wasn't originally written in English. It was originally written in Greek, and it's been translated. The English word for love is one of these examples, right? We, just, we call everything love if it's close to love. The Greek language has seven words for love. Different types of love, and they help paint, a, they help paint us a, a more clear picture. There's a couple of examples in this passage from the original, original text, the original language, that give us a better picture of how God loves us, and they're subtle. Take a look back at verse 3. There's an example here. If you look at verse 3. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. In English, Jesus loved him, right? We just say Jesus loved him. This is the Greek word phileo. We know, we, know, we know about this one, right? The word Philadelphia, brotherly love. Any Boys Meets Worlds fans out here? Right? 90s kids? They were in Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. That's how I learned that. I don't know how you learned it. The city of brotherly love. This word in the Greek, this phileo. It describes a very personal, a very one-on-one, -on -one, a very intimate, not a romantic love. That's a different word. 
A friendly, personal, brotherly type love. Jesus knew Lazarus as a friend and he loved him deeply. Then we see verse 5. Look at verse 5. Right behind it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. He just told us he loved Lazarus. Why is John telling us he loves Lazarus again? This is verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha. We just read it. Love. This is the word agapao, agape, right? Some of you may have studied this before. Agape love. This word describes a selfless, sacrificial, but it's universal. It's bigger. It's not necessarily one-on-one. It's, it's, it's an overarching idea of love. It's the same word from John 3.16. For God so loved the world, right? It's, it's bigger. It's universal. That's why when we read it in English, it's like, why is he telling us he loved him twice? But in Greek, it would have held different weight when it was originally written. We get to see the difference between, yeah, God loves us as humanity. He loves Connection Church, right? But he loves Jason. He loves Ty. He loves Jamie. Individually, he loves these people. Think about how comforted Mary and Martha must have been in this moment. Even in the midst of grief and loss, they had already acknowledged who Jesus was. They knew who he was in a, in a theoretical sense, right? They knew the right answers. He had shown them his power. They had been following him. They had seen the things that had been done. He'd shown them his power, and now in this story, we see that he's showing them his love. He's showing them that he cares. He weeps over it. We have to be careful on our side, right? We have to be careful from our end to read too much, too much into either one and become unbalanced in our view of who Jesus is. It can be easy to view God as all love and no power, or all power and no love. All love and no power is like, is like hippie Jesus, right? Yeah, everybody's good. Forgive everybody. No cost. Cheap grace. No power. But all power and no love is the opposite. It's, it's condemnation. It's judgment. We have to be careful that we don't live in the extremes and create an inaccurate view of who Jesus is. But why does it matter? Why does it matter? Why does knowing the character of Jesus matter? Why do we learn new words? Why do we look at Greek words? What do these big ideas that relate to God and the Trinity, what do they have to do with us? That's why we're here, right? What are you going to do for me? So as we wrap up this morning, I just want to talk for a little bit about why is it important to have an accurate view of Jesus that's based on Scripture, right? Not based on Instagram, not based on TV, not based on my changing, fleeting feelings and emotions. I want my view of Jesus to be based in God's Word. When everything's going to plan, right? When everything's lining up, when things are going good, it's easy to talk about God. It's easy to, oh, God's good. God has a plan. God's faithful, right? Things are going my way. But what do we do when it gets real? When it gets hard? We don't understand what God's doing. The variables are changing, right? We don't know what's going on. It becomes really easy to respond exactly the way that the disciples did. It's so easy to look from a distance and remove ourselves from Scripture in this story because it happened in the past and be judgmental of the disciples for their reaction. But what do we do? Let's look in the mirror for a minute. What do we do? 
When things don't go our way or when we feel like we've lost control, what's our first reaction? We question and we doubt. We question and we doubt. We question who God is. We question his character. And we question his plan for our life. Where are you, God? God, what are you doing? Lord, where are you at? Right? That's what we do. We've all asked these questions. If we're honest, we're human. It's hard. We've got to understand as followers of Jesus that our comfort, our happiness, our prosperity is not God's primary concern. He loves us. He cares about those things. Those things are not bad in of themselves. He doesn't want us to be miserable. But those things, comfort, happiness, prosperity, health, they're not ultimate. God cares more about our eternity than he does our comfort. We have to trust him sometimes that it's best for us not to get our own way. Sometimes it's good for the job not to work out. Sometimes it's good for the relationship not to work out. Sometimes it's good for the test not to come back negative, to get the results we want. But what's the positive? Why do we put ourselves through that as believers? Because it's worth it, right? When we trust God through those situations, he ultimately gets the glory. And that's his goal. What verse 4 say? It is for God's glory so that God's Son may be glorified through it. What is it? The sickness. Lazarus didn't... Lazarus wasn't prosperity right here. This, he, wasn't, he wasn't good. He wasn't healthy. The sickness resulted in God's glory, and that's good. We've got to redefine good, right? Exodus 9, 16, I've raised you up for this purpose, that I might show you my power, that my name might be glorified in all the earth. That's God's purpose. If you want to write this down, this really stood out to me this week. The currency in God's economy is not happiness and comfort. The currency in God's economy is his glory. The more we can glorify God in our life, the better off we're going to be. There's a quote from John Piper that, that struck me as I was going through this this week. He says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. To truly be satisfied in him, sometimes God has to let us go through things that are hard. We have to experience things that are difficult. We ultimately have to get to the place that God is all that we have, right? We can't control it. We can't change it. I don't know what I'm going to do, right? But God can be glorified through it if we will just trust him, if we will use him as the constant. He waited two days so that he would be glorified. And he tells us it was hard to wait two days. Jesus struggled. He wept. He let the family suffer for two days thinking their brother had died. Because when he gets raised again... God is going to get the glory. So whatever situation we're in, right, we don't know. It's hard. I don't know what's coming. He may be making us wait so that he can get more glory. My hope for this morning is that we would be bold and courageous in our faith. That we would trust God enough that when things get hard, we can cling to his word. We can cling to what he says. We can cling to his promises the things that we know are true. Why do we know? He's proven them. 
We may not, he hasn't proven our circumstances, but he's proven himself, and that's all we need. He's proven himself faithful to us more times than we deserve. He doesn't owe us that. He didn't owe us scripture. He didn't owe us the story of the Israelites falling on their face and rebelling, running away, and him redeeming them every time and him sending his son Jesus. He didn't owe us that. All we have to do is trust in his work and we can glorify him. We can be saved. We can trust him. We can trust that no matter what these circumstances bring, it's all going to be okay. The band's going to come up. We're going to have kind of a song of response. <clears throat> we try to do this some weeks to close out the service. We want to give you an opportunity to wrestle with these things, right? I feel bad. I feel like I just yelled at you guys for a while. But it's, it's, it's real. It's here. Nobody wants to come and play church, right? So I'm going to pray. We're going to close. We want to have time for people to respond to God's word working in your life. Look, if you've never made the commitment to trust God fully, take my word. He can. I'll tell you my story. I'll get coffee. I'll get lunch. I know he's faithful. He's proven it to me. I don't know what the future holds, just like you don't. But I know that if I put God as the constant, if I revolve my life around him, then I'll be better off at the end. And I hope you'll join me in that. I'll be down front if you want to make that decision. If you want to do something else, we got next steps, right? If you want to get in a group, we'll do heart and soul again. You want to go through heart and soul. If you want to be a part of our church, just take this time. Don't waste it. Respond to God's word. Respond to God's truth genuinely. You won't regret it. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your word. We thank you that you've proven yourself faithful to us time and time and time again. God, I pray for those that are struggling this morning that don't see what God is doing. God, I pray that you would give them comfort. I pray that you would give them relief. But God, I don't, I don't pray that you would let them off the hook with something easy and comfortable when you have something bigger and better in store. God, you have your glory. I pray that that would be our currency, God. We would look for your glory, not our comfort. And it's hard. God, it's so hard. But I pray that week after week, day after day, as we get into your word, as we remind ourselves of your character, of your son Jesus and his character, God, I pray that you would use it to mold us and shape us to be more like your son Jesus. Help us to respond in this time, God. We love you. We praise you. We give you all the honor and the glory. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.